Well, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11, we're continuing, of course, our study of this final revelation that God gave to mankind. Of course, the book of Revelation gives a lot of information about uh, about the end times, and especially, in fact, from about chapter 6 through chapter 19, it talks about a time period called the tribulation. This is that seven-year time period in which there's great suffering on the earth, and God brings judgment. God has appeared, uh, Jesus Christ has appeared to John and has given him this final revelation. As we put this up here, that seven-year time period called the tribulation will be followed by the kingdom, the final judgment, and the eternal state. Now, we're the church, and any time Jesus Christ could come in the clouds and take us off the face of the earth, and when he does that, that's called the rapture, comes from a Latin word, a Latin word rapio, but a Greek word is harpazo, which means to snatch away. He's going to snatch us away, and then there'll be a brief time, and then this man of sin will come and make a peace pact with Israel. It'll last for seven years. Let me give you, this is the outline I can make it work. This is the outline of the book of Revelation, but what we see is in chapter 1, it's about Jesus, and then in chapter 2 and 3, he writes about the churches. Chapters 4 and 5, John is taken up to heaven. It's symbolic of the rapture. And then all of chapter 6 through 19, we're dealing with that seven-year time period called the tribulation, and, and that's what we're looking at. Now, let me just say one thing. If you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you will be taken off the face of the earth at the rapture. You will not go through the tribulation. You have nothing to do with that. Tribulation is for the nation of Israel, their final seven years, and for judgment on the earth. And there will be many people who will believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Many, many, in fact, thousands and thousands of people will believe. But there is a great time of judgment. So what we wish and hope is that every one of uh, everyone in this room would have already believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that he is the Son of God who died and rose again, and you trust in him to give you the gift of eternal life, and you're saved and saved forever. So when that rapture happens, you won't be going through this time period, and we're seeing how it is. Of course, in this passage, there's a little uh, interval and a, kind of a little stop in place, and we're, we'll see more of the judgments later. There's, Jesus comes back, sets up a kingdom, rules for a thousand years. There's a thing called the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation chapter 20, and then in 21 and 22, we see the new heavens and the new earth. That's really the flow of the whole thing. We're seeing there's seven seals, seven trumpets, seven judgments. We've now come to chapters 10 and 11. We saw chapter 10 last time. There's been the seven Seven trumpet judgments. There's been seven seal judgments. There's seven trumpet judgments, but we've not seen all of them. We've seen six of the seven, and in between seeing the six and the seven, we're getting this information. In chapter ten, we saw last week about an angel coming with a book, and John was told to go take the book and eat the book. The book was a prophecy of God. It said, "When you eat it, it'll be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach." He ate it. It tasted great. Then it made his stomach sick, and it's the idea of he's going to throw it back up. In other words, he's going to give out this revelation that God gave him. In chapter 11, where we are, we're going to meet two witnesses. Two witnesses. They're two famous people because everybody always talks about the witnesses and the real supposition is who are these two people? Do we know who they are? Are they like somebody? Who are they? And we'll see them as we go through. So as we start, I just want to talk about testimony and giving your testimony or being a witness for Jesus Christ. We know that 2 Corinthians says we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through you. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's our role. Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth. Now he was talking to the, the disciples there, but it, we make application. We are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to meet two witnesses for Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And it's most likely the second half of the tribulation. Let me 
remind you of this final seven-year time period. And this is just for everybody. We go over it every time, but I want to make sure you've got it. There's the final seven-year time period. It's divided into two parts. First part, first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The second three and a half years called the great tribulation. It begins when the Pete, with the, uh, uh, Antichrist makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel. The rapture does not start the tribulation. The peace pact starts the tribulation. We said in that first three and a half years, there's peace, then war, then famine, and then death. And then halfway through, this Antichrist guy, is called the beast that comes up out of the sea, breaks the peace pact, puts his idol up in the temple, claims to be God. It's called the abomination desolation. And then the last three and a half years is just a terrific judgment and and all those things. In the first three and a half years, there's 144,000 Jews, Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ and proclaim the message. In the last three and a half years, there's the two witnesses. So let me give you this idea right here. The first three and a half years, peace, war, famine, and suffering. The second three and a half years, the Antichrist comes to power. There's suffering, there's judgments, there's physical signs. Then it all ends with the return of Jesus Christ. First three and a half years, 144,000 Jews are raised up to make known salvation in Jesus Christ. The second three and a half years, the two witnesses are raised up. We're now seeing in verse 11, or in chapter 11, we're going to see the two witnesses. Let me give you the outline just for this little passage. And and verses 1 and 2 talk about time. We'll talk about it. And then the two witnesses are there. They prophesy for 1,260 days. That's, by the way, that's three and a half years. The power of the witnesses, the death, the resurrection, the earthquake, and we won't get to this one, we'll, uh, we'll get to it next week, but the seventh trumpet finally blows, okay, and we'll see how that ties together. So, first three and a half, 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. The second three and a half years, the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple, and we see the two witnesses. So, it's some, some amazing, amazing things. Now, I wanted to remind you that in chapter 6, there were the seven sealed judgments that covered the entire tribulation. The seven sealed judgments ends with Jesus Christ coming back. We are now seeing the seven trumpet judgments. We haven't seen the seventh one yet, but when the Seven with sounds, Jesus Christ comes back. We haven't got to the bold judgments, but there's seven of those. When the seventh one sounds, Jesus Christ comes back. So what we see is this one covers the entire tribulation. The trumpets and the bowls are giving details on the second half of the tribulation. So that's what we've been seeing. We're seeing how that fits together. So chapter 10, the angel in the book. We saw that last week. Chapter 11, we say we're going to see the two witnesses. Now, as I brought it up last week, John was there. This angel comes, shouts real loud has this little book in his hand. The book is already open. And somebody says to him, go up there to the angel and take the book. And the angel says, eat the book. He eats the book. It tastes really good. But then his stomach is is all bitter, like he's going to throw up. That's basically, and so it's symbolic of saying, you're going to take the word in, then you're going to give the word out. He's going to prophesy at a different time. Some say, well, what is the prophecy? Where is it? Most believe it's the last part of the tribulation. That's what he's talking about. Well, this morning, we're going to see the two witnesses. So look at chapter 11, look at verse 1. It says, then there was given me, this is John talking, there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship it. So he, he's been given this rod. Now, normally when you think about measuring something with a rod, you say, okay, this is three feet, it's six feet, it's nine feet. He's not talking about measuring the temple itself. He's talking about time. It's pretty amazing. He's talking about it's symbolic. It says someone is speaking. Notice it doesn't tell us who it is. Then was given to me a measuring rod and someone said, 
Historically, we've been looking at the book. It'll say, and the angel said, or the Lord said. But this just says, someone said, measure it. It's symbolic of dealing with the time and the temple. Uh, it's the same thing happened to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was given a rod to measure and those kind of things, if you ever study that. He's not talking about the size of the temple. He's talking about the time. And this is, the temple is, when you think about the temple, by the way, if you notice that this is, there's this temple and an altar and all those kind of things. This is the temple that was built most likely during the first part of the seven-year peace agreement made with Israel and the Antichrist. Now, let me just say something. There could something happen today and Israel be able to build their temple now before the rapture because it doesn't say anything about when this temple is built. Most believe that the rapture is going to happen and in this peace pact made with Israel and the Antichrist they'll be able to build their temple. So this most believe that this temple is built in the first three and a half years. Okay, so we've got this temple, and let me just remind you of the temples that are in the scripture. First of all, the very first temple of what we studied when we studied the life of David and Solomon, Solomon built God's temple, the first one, the gigantic one, the beautiful one, the one that David put everything together and Solomon built it. We call it Solomon's temple, but then that was destroyed in 585 B.C. by the Babylonians, completely destroyed. And then when the Jewish people came back, they came back with a leader by the name of Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they came back and they built a temple. It was much smaller. And then as time went by, Herod came in and he took, King Herod came in and he rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem and made it gigantic. And that was at the time of Jesus Christ. Often it is called Herod's temple. And then we, that was destroyed in AD 70. It's gone. And now there, we know that during the tribulation, the temple will be rebuilt and the Antichrist goes into the temple and claims to be God. And that's going to be all destroyed. And, of course, there will be a kingdom temple. Jesus Christ will rule. It's described in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 what the temple will look like in the kingdom. And so those are the temples. And now he's talking about measuring time. Watch what he says. He says, leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Now, here's what we find out, that for the first three and a half years, the temple is in control of the Jews. But then the second three and a half years, it's going to go into the power. The Antichrist is going to come in and put his idol up. And, and, and that takes place for 42 months. If you realize 42 months is how long? It's three and a half years. This is the final three and a half years. So when the Antichrist sets his idol up in the temple, he takes over. And he claims to be God, puts his idol there. And for that final three and a half years, this is why he says, don't measure the outward. It's been given to the Gentiles, to the, you know, the Antichrist for 42 months. So the Antichrist, he's going to claim to be God. He's going to come take the city. He's going to the temple. He's going to put up an idol and he will come to power. Now he's already got power, but he's going to not be a good power. Up to this point, he's tried to act like he's a nice person, although there's a lot of judgments going on. But at this midway part in the tribulation, the Antichrist claims that he is God and he puts an idol up in the temple and the idol is must be some kind of robot with AI or something because it speaks and talks and demands to be worshipped. It's an idol of him, but it speaks and talks. And we're going to see more about who who all these are who because there's this false prophet that's coming. We'll see all of that when we get there. Now, from there, we go to verse 3 and it says, I will grant authority. Now, 
Whoever is speaking, and it sounds must be God, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So someone's talking, and they got a prophecy to carry out their ministry, and 1260 days, guess how long that is? That's three and a half years. This will take us to the end of the tribulation. So let me remind you, here it's been peace, war, famine, death, And then halfway through, Antichrist goes into the temple and says, I'm God. This is my idol. You must worship this idol, which means you're worshiping me. And I'm I'm ruling everything at that time. Everything breaks loose. People running for their lives. Jewish people running for their lives. The 144,000 have already been doing their ministry. And when this takes place, God raises up two people, two men. And they're going to go and stand in front of the temple where the Antichrist has put his idol there. And they're going to proclaim Jesus Christ. They're going to be his witnesses. Notice what he says. He says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's three and a half years. So we think that they go all the way to the end of the tribulation. And we're going to see what happens to them. We'll see what happens to them this morning. We'll see that event. So Look what happens, how they're described. They're, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, they're called olive trees and lampstands. If you go back to the book of Zechariah, they're witnesses for God, and they were called olive trees, and they were called lampstands. And so what he's saying is, these are my witnesses. These are the ones that stand for me. Olive trees have always represented Israel, olive. And then the lampstands, they're supposed to be the light of the world. They're supposed to proclaim the truth. They are God's chosen ones. Notice again, I will grant authority to my witnesses, and then these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Boy, this is this is a powerful thing. They're God's chosen ones to proclaim the message. Now, you and I may not think about it this way, but we are the lampstands right now. We are the light of the world. We are the ones that are standing in this community and in this world and proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. We're witnesses for Christ. We are to be the ones to tell people about Jesus Christ until he comes and gets us and he could come get us at any time. But time is running out. Time is running out for us because we don't know. Jesus could come at any second. There's no prophecy, anything that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come get us and take us off the face of the earth. But as these two witnesses are going to proclaim Christ in the second half of the tribulation, and as the 144,000 Jews are proclaiming Christ at the beginning of the tribulation, before there's a tribulation, before the church is gone, we are the lights of the world. We're the ones to shine and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we train people. We have uh, SBI classes, Bible Institute classes. We have small groups. We have things. And what we want you to do is make sure you can share your faith, that you can tell people how they can have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. We actually use John 3.16. It's not complicated. We tell people to go through John 3.16. God so loved the world, that's everybody, that he gave his son Jesus to die and rose again, that whosoever would believe it's faith alone in Christ alone would never perish but have eternal life. That's the, that's the, the, the offer. And so we tell people, you can learn, know one verse, John three sixteen, and you can share your faith with anyone. And time is running out, and we are the lights. And we're going to see that this is going to be a terrible time. The Antichrist has already put his idol in the temple, He's, and, and those are standing for God. What happens to them? Now think about this. What happens to these two witnesses who are standing out in front of the temple daily, 
and maybe day and night, and they're there. People are coming by. The Antichrist has put his idol up at the temple. People are being demanded to worship. This is going to be the time where people have to take the mark of the beast, where they have to take the 666 and put it either here or here. And all this is happening in the second half. People are running for their lives. The Jewish nation, God has told them to run for their lives. If you read Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, he tells the Jewish people to run for their lives. They run to a place called Selah. We're going to see that in chapter 12. We're going to see the nation of Israel fleeing from the Antichrist. We'll see it in that passage, and there's a lot there. So it's a terrible time. So what's going to happen? Look at verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, talk about the two witnesses, fire flows out of their mouths and devour their enemies. Devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. What in the world? I, you know, they, they, if some seek to harm the two witnesses, some people say, we don't want them proclaiming about Jesus in front of the temple because we know that, that uh, the real God is the Antichrist. That's what they would say. There are going to be people who actually believe that the Antichrist is God. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks that the Antichrist gets killed and comes back from the dead. Now, whether he actually dies and comes back or it looks like he dies and comes back, everybody's going to think that he died and rose again. Does that sound familiar to you? That's the Antichrist. And people are going to worship him. And so what's going to happen to these two witnesses that are out there? Well, I want you to understand God is in control. And look what it says. I, and, you know, I'm, I'm reading it. Look what it says. If anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth. And devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These are two people. Uh, fire comes out of their mouths? I, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe they got hot breath. Maybe, you know, I mean, you, you stand there and cause problems with them. They may just speak and fire come out. It could be maybe it's symbolic of, of they got a weapon or something that shoots out fire. I don't know. All this says is fire comes out of their mouth. And at this stage, I would say that fire comes out of their mouth. Now, who are these people? Who are these two witnesses? Well, look what it says about them. He says, they have the power. The word power there in verse 6 means the authority. They have the authority to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall on the earth during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? How about, do you know anybody that was able to stop the rain? Elijah, right? Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain in three and a half years, and then it rained. Do you know anybody that had the ability to bring, uh, you know, to turn the waters to blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague? Who was that? That's Moses. So some people say hey, God's going to judge anybody that hurts these two witnesses, and so they're going to shut up the sky, no rain, and water to blood and plagues. Who could it be? Well, some say it's Moses and Elijah. Well, if, let's just say this. Whatever they're doing, they're doing the same sort of thing that Moses and Elijah did. Some people say they are Moses and Elijah. Well, the truth is, Moses died, and he was buried, but nobody knows where he was buried. In fact, if you read the scripture, nobody knows where the body of Moses was buried. Second is, Elijah did not physically die, the best we can tell. Chariot came down, picked him up. So some people say, Elijah didn't die, so that's why he's there. And since we don't know where Moses was buried, that's why he's there. Some others say that it could be Elijah and Enoch. 
because Elijah didn't die and Enoch didn't die. Enoch walked with God and was taken off the face of the earth. So who are these two people? Nobody knows. And it could be that they like Moses and Elijah, that they do the same sort of thing. You remember uh, when John the Baptist came, uh, they said John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. These two people be coming in the spirit and the power of Moses and, and Elijah. We just don't know who they are. So realize uh, that uh, they have a, they have a certain time period to do their ministry, right? You think about it. Three and a half years, 1,260 days. Now, let me say something. They knew when their ministry was going to be over. He told them, you'd have 1,260 days. What if somebody came to you and said, you're going to die in 1,260 days? You might go figure that thing out and go, uh-oh, right? We don't know. We don't know how long our ministry is going to be. We don't know if Jesus is going to come back and get us. We don't know if we're going to die physically. But we have the responsibility to proclaim Christ. So it says that if anyone wanted to harm them, you know, fire came out. And they have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days that are prophesying. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with plagues as often as they desire. Wow. Everything you say, wow. Nobody can touch them till you read the next verse. When they had finished their testimony, the 1,260 days, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, overcome them, and kill them. When they finish their testimony, when they finish what they're doing. And this is, it says, the beast that comes up out of the abyss. Now, hold your place there. And turn to Revelation chapter 13. You're probably only going to turn, if you're like my Bible, you only turn one page. Okay? Revelation 13. I want you to notice this right here. There's a beast coming up out of the sea. We call him the Antichrist. Look at chapter 13. Look at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and his heads were blasphemous. And if you look down, this is the the beast, uh, the Antichrist. Then look at chapter 13, verse 11. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Not out of the sea, but out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like the dragon. Turn back to Revelation chapter 11, and look at verse 7 again. Where does this beast come from? It doesn't say he came up out of the sea. It doesn't say he came up out of the earth. It says he came up out of the abyss, the big hole. So the question really is, is this a different person? Is this, the, we know the beast out of the sea is the Antichrist. We know the beast out of the earth is the false prophet. Who is the beast out of the abyss? And whether the beast out of the abyss is probably, probably, and as you look at the scripture, most likely the beast out of the abyss is the same as the Antichrist. Because he's the one in opposition to God, and he's the one that does all of these things. And so whoever it is, it just says, and the beast who came up out of the abyss, which is the big hole. You remember that big hole that we already saw where that hole opened up and all these creatures came out that looked like uh, locusts and things, but they had the stinging tails and the faces like people and the mouth like lions and the hair like women and crowns. And uh, it was just horrible looking creatures that came. And and so we don't know. I, I'm, I'm guessing that if, if I had to say who I thought it was, I'd probably say it's the Antichrist. Could be somebody totally different. We just don't know. But look what happens in their dead bodies. He kills them. He overcomes them and kills them. Now, up to this point, if anybody tried to harm them, what happened? Fire came out and destroyed whoever tried to stop them. This time it says he kills them. 
And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Whoa. Mystically, Sodom and Egypt. Where are their bodies going to be? They'll be in the streets. They'll be in the street in front of the temple. They're just going to be killed, and they're going to lay in the ground right, right, right in front of the temple, in front of everybody. And he says something really different in this verse. He says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? Just outside Jerusalem. So this is Jerusalem. But why is it called Egypt and Sodom? Well, it's probably because of all the sin. Because Sodom was destroyed because of their sin. And Egypt worshipped so many false gods and were, you know, all the plagues came to Egypt. So we don't, we don't really know. It just, it just says that. And then look what happens. Those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies for how long? Three and a half days. And will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. I'm sure that's going to, what's going to happen is there'll be some people who were believers would come up and say, we would like to bury these people. And they'll fix it and they'll say, no, no, you can't bury them. We're not going to allow anybody to touch their bodies. They are not going to be buried. They're just going to lie out in front of everybody. And uh, they want to show their triumph over God's men, whoever these people are. This is the unbelieving world. This is probably tied in with the Antichrist and the false prophet and everything else. And they want to announce that they have destroyed God's people. That's what they think. You know, sometimes it, it looks like the forces of evil win. Sometimes it does. When Jesus died on the cross, there were, it looked terrible, didn't it? I mean, he's, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They crucified him. But there were people saying, man, he was, he was put to death. But that was actually the greatest thing that ever happened because he died for our sins. And then we look at our culture today and we go, look at it. It looks like evil's going to triumph. Evil's not going to triumph. One of these days, it, the tribulation, you say, oh, look how terrible everything is. Evil's going to triumph. Evil never triumphs. Even when things look bad, God is in control and working all events according to his will. Well, what's going to be the response? Watch this. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Yea, they're dead. And they will celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. You know why? Because they told the truth. They kept telling over and over that the only way of salvation was Jesus Christ. It was not the false prophet. It was not the antichrist. It was not the devil. It was not any of that. Only Jesus Christ. And they were tormented by this message. And now they're happy. They're dead. They're laying on the ground. They're going, yes, rejoice. By the way, I got a Christmas card one time. I got a Christmas card one time that said, Revelation 11, verse 10. But it only had half the verse, and it said this, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and will send gifts to one another. And that's how it stopped. It's a Christmas card that you're going to celebrate and send gifts to others. They didn't finish the rest of the verse. That verse is not Christmas, okay? And it's not about giving presents, believers to each other. It's unbelievers giving presents to each other because the two witnesses of God have been put to death. Wow. Well, the response by the people, they rejoice and send gifts to each other. Well, look what happens. But after three and a half days, The breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. You realize they rose from the dead. 
These witnesses had a life and a ministry and a death. Now they have a resurrection. God raises them from the dead. They're raised up. And, and he's the life giver. He's the life giver. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Uh, there is no way to have life except through Jesus Christ. He raises these two witnesses from the dead. And all the people are watching, and they're all scared of that. They're, they, they don't even know what to say. And so in verse 12, I heard this loud voice from heaven saying to them, saying to the two witnesses, Come up here. And then they went up into heaven in the cloud. And their enemies watch them. Not only were they raised from the dead in front of people, they ascended into heaven in front of people. Mm, it's amazing. It's amazing. A voice out of heaven, and they ascended into heaven. Now watch what happens. Remember, this is the last half of the tribulation. This is toward the very end. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. This is right at the very end. I think that's probably uh, that God brings the judgment. This is the, the very end. If you remember the chart. This, we're seeing now the end of the tribulation, the last three and a half years. This is when the, they, they prophesied for 1,260 days. They are killed. They raised from the dead. And there's great judgment coming. It's not very long that Jesus is going to come in the clouds. And look what it says in verse 14. It says, the second woe was passed. Remember, there were three woes, which were the final three trumpet judgments. The second woe was passed. The third woe is coming quickly. So the second woe passed, that's the sixth trumpet, is the second woe. And then the seventh, third woe is the seventh trumpet. And that's the end. That's the end. Now remember, that, that doesn't end the book, because he's going to go back and he's going to talk about other things, and he's going to tell you more stuff that happened in that final three and a half years. So that's why it makes the book a little difficult, because when you read the book of Revelation, and you look at chapter 6, actually, you see the entire tribulation, and you think, well, it's over. And then you keep reading, and you come back, and you see these trumpet judgments, and they all take place in the second half, then it's over. And then you come back, and you read, and you see these bold judgments, and they take place in the second half, and then it's over. So it's all coming together at the end. It's amazing. And so what we find is in Revelation chapter 10, they already told us that when the seventh trumpet sounds, there'll be no more of a delay. No more of a delay. And so here we are. We've seen the seals, the trumpets are ending, and then the bowls. And we're going to see next time when he blows that seventh trumpet. By the way, verse 15 says, When the seventh angel sounded, there was a loud voice in heaven saying, Now watch what it says. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's the second coming of Jesus. So when that seventh trumpet sounds, it's the end. But you may say, well, what about the bold judgments? They fit in there. They give different details. They're going to all end at the same time, at the same place. And the kingdom comes. That's Matthew 24 and 25, Daniel 9, 27, Revelation chapters 19 and 20. We'll see that. As we go through it, let me quickly, just because of time, let me give you some applications. So the first one is, let's be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world now. We have the opportunity, just like the two witnesses had their opportunity, the 144,000 had their opportunity. We have the opportunity. We're the light of the world. We tell people how they can have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. We only have so much time. Now, we don't know. 
The two witnesses knew they had 1,260 days. They knew that. We don't know how much time we have because Jesus could come at any second. So be faithful in sharing your faith. Second, let's trust God when things look bad. I mean, they look really bad. If you look at this, it looks terrible. In fact, when the two witnesses get killed, you go, they're the best ones. Fire could come out of their mouth. How could they get killed? And then we see them rising from the dead. And then the last thing is, let's understand, we have victory over death. When people die, Jesus Christ has already died on the cross to pay for sin, and he's already rose from the grave to conquer death. And he has conquered death for every person. Some people will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's called eternal life, and that's by faith. Other people will be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ because they didn't believe in him, and that's called the second death or the lake of fire. We want everybody to be in the eternal, have eternal life and to be with Jesus Christ forever. And that comes simply by faith. It's not works. It's not our goodness. It's faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life.